And then I get a call from my sister at five in the morning saying, Sean, they're gone. And I was like, who's gone? What are you talking about? Mom, David, and Sophie are gone. They were killed in a car accident this morning. And I think at that point you go into complete shock, right? Uh, you, you go, actually I went into how do I get to my family? Welcome to Natural Tendencies. I'm your host, Rick Braden. Join us as we hear the real issues affecting real people that truly and deeply impact their work performance. Anxiety, depression, conflict, marital problems, trauma, grief, and loss. Right here, right now, right on! So I'm with Sean, and Sean and I have a what I would consider a new blossoming friendship. And we've been attending wonderful events together, most recently spending time with the renowned ecologist and teacher John Milton together on the ocean and then at our friend's lake house. Yeah, beautiful times. Yeah. So we talked about timing, and it's interesting that we're both drummers we are. And timing is obviously important to us. And so I reached out to you on a plane last night at about 7 p.m., I think. I'm not sure exactly what mm-hmm. time it was. And I said, I, I think this is the time, and I would like you to do this thing. <laughs> and in preparation for this podcast, you started with a, with a sentence, it's been one year to the day that. Yeah, so I get up this morning, I open my phone, and Facebook reminds me that I was in a sentencing for the drunk driver that killed my three family members two years ago on November 13th. And one year ago today was the sentencing. So... Uh, which was, as you can imagine, a very emotional day, but also a very um, powerful day, um, not in a justice way, but in a forgiveness way. That's really intense. What happened to your family members and who were they? Tell us about the event. Um, So... Um, it was my mother, my brother David, my mother Ruth Ann, and my niece Sophie, Sophie Grace Reinhardt, and she was 17. She was an extremely talented, gifted artist, musician, uh, Christian, um, just she had the gifts of my brother and my sister-in-law like combined, so it was like a superpower she had. Um, And she was in the marching band, and she had gone up to Indianapolis, Indiana, for a competition. And that night she had sang a solo. I didn't even know you could sing in the marching band. That's a new thing from my days in the marching band. Um, And and she was just beautiful. Like, everybody was in awe of her. Excuse me. And they got in the car, 
at probably midnight and started driving back. And at two o'clock in the morning, my brother hit a deer just as they were driving. And so he pulls over to the road and he calls my father and says, well, dad, you were right. I was supposed to look out for deer. We hit a deer, but we're okay. We'll pull over here. We'll wait for the police. Um, and as they sat along the side of the road, um, a 19-year-old Indiana University student uh, was driving a truck at about 76 miles an hour, uh, blacked out, intoxicated, and hit them. And their car went from zero to 46 miles an hour in a second. Man. And there were four people in the car. My niece, uh, my older niece, uh, Josie Reinhardt, was in the car. Um, and she was in the front seat. My brother was in the driver's seat. My mom was in the back seat. And Sophie was next to her. Um, and Josie wakes up in, in, in the ditch with a completely totaled car with three family members deceased and she climbs out unhurt and when you saw the car later you couldn't believe that somebody survived it it was completely crushed like the bumper was in the front seat and there was just this little bubble for her to survive she had crawled on her side the only one not wearing a seatbelt they were just sitting alongside the road waiting and this event happens and whatever that was protected her and she was able to get out of the car. At that point, the driver had woken up, obviously that kind of impact. And I think he had uh, a broken arm or something and walked down to see what was going on. And they started talking. And at that point, the state trooper shows up. And the state trooper mentioned that there was still debris spinning in the road. That's how close it was for him getting there to the scene so he was there almost immediately after the accident happened um, and then I get a call from my sister at five in the morning saying Sean they're gone and I was like who's gone what are you talking about mom David and Sophie are gone they were killed in the car accident this morning and I think at that point you go into complete shock, right? Uh, you, you go, actually I went into how do I get to my family instantly. I, it's six o'clock by that point. I, there's no real emotion yet. It's just, I gotta get to him. Uh, mm -hmm. So I quickly book a flight. And then there's a moment where we bring the kids down and let them know what has happened. Uh, my three kids uh, who at that point were um, 12, 10 and eight. And, you know, and then an hour later, I'm on a plane flying home. And, uh, and then it, you still go into, um, at least I go into work mode. My comfort zone is what can I do? You know, what's the solution? How do I fix? What do I, how do I help? Um, and, you know, you go through that process. Um, and you pick out three caskets, you know, uh, you find where they're going to be buried. And there's just a lot of uh, logistics that have to happen, especially for 
the three of them, because they were heavily involved in the church, and the church is a large church of about three to 4,000 people, and my brother had been a worship minister at the church for 25 years. So you can imagine the ministry of 25 years and how that ripples out, and so he had basically grandkids of kids that he worked with uh, in the choirs and in the music area. And so as did my mom, and, and Sophia was heavily involved there too. So, And you have a whole high school that is grieving the loss of their friend. Uh, so it was a um, surreal, out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. And really, I moved away 16 years prior to that to come to Orlando. And so I had physically separated myself from the three of them, you know, over that amount of time. So my day-to-day, you know, wasn't as connected to them as, you know, my sister who lives in the same town as them or obviously my father. And so uh, there was a lot of... um, When you come back, I stayed for a couple of weeks, and I think on by... The Friday after Thanksgiving, I was like, I need to get back. I need to do. A, I need to get into a routine. I can't just be in this uh, what I considered somewhat of a limbo state. Um, and uh, came back. I remember running into you actually, and had a very heartfelt conversation about grief and what that means. And there's no easy answer. And uh, you were very kind and generous with your time and space at that very moment Uh, and then you get back into a groove and then there's the life history connection loss you realize that experiences that I shared with my brother for those 20 something years that we were in the same town living uh, and, and doing life together there's things that we only experienced. We, we grew up in the same room, you know, for 18 years. We, we just had this shared experience, like almost like twins, you know. We both were musicians. We both loved certain music because of the experience of that music over our lifetime. And it hit me, I think, uh, mid-December. I texted my brother a YouTube clip of a song that was on the radio. I go, oh, I love this song. We had so many great memories of this. And I sent it to him. And I didn't realize that he's not going to receive it. And so those moments kept playing out. I can't call my mom and tell her about my daughter's, you know, musical that she's in and how proud my mom would be that she was enjoying those types of, those types of things. And uh, then I took on, uh, well, I'll be them for my kids. I'll be the grandmother. I'll be the uncle. And I'll bestow on them the things that I know that they would want my my kids and you can only do that for so long um, because um, it's tough enough being their father and, and, and pouring into them and then also feeling the burden that they're going to miss these things from the family members that had passed and then what I realized we went home for Christmas so we came back and went back to Indiana and we came back after that trip obviously feeling the loss of missing our family members that were tradition ingrained in us. But I walked up to my daughter's room and there was this little wooden box that had a flag like on the top of it. And my mom loved flags. Uh, Many of our mothers have weird collections of things and my mom's was flags, uh, American flags. 
and I see Scarlett playing um, in a room, and I go, oh, what's, I recognize that. And she goes, yeah, um, Grandpa said I could take anything that reminded me of Grandma, and this reminds me of her. And she was, had put play money in it, and, and that's what she remembered doing with Grandma's, having that. And so then you start playing out, wow, the loss for these kids and their grandmother. And it's just this year of feeling that disconnect and uh, trying to manage that. Um, and then Full Sail Family uh, was hugely important to my, um, I wouldn't say survival, but the health um, at which I felt valued and cared for was evident by the outpouring of the Full Sail University community. I mean, I was getting text. And it's such a weird thing. Uh, when you lose three family members instantly, what do you say to someone, you know? And so it was also a, uh, an interesting test of how to receive things from people because people would come up to you with extreme grief and drama and just pouring out and you emotionally had gone through that state already but you kept receiving it from other people but what was great about the full cell family although they would say you know I can't imagine you know how that feels or um, most of them were just I love you I care about you you're a valued person um, we miss you being here they were just very, um, it was like the perfect moments. The perfect things were being said when I needed them. And a majority of those were from Full Sail University staff. And so that, and then coming back and receiving, again, just that welcoming and that love uh, was hugely therapeutic for me because I spend a great deal of time here. <laughs> um, because I want to and because I love this place and I love the people. And then you go through a year of that and you feel like you've got it under control, that you understand what, when the emotional triggers are happening and you're dealing with those things. And then you're sitting in a courtroom and you've never met the guy and he's 19 years old. He got drunk at a party. He woke up and just got in his truck and decided to drive you know, an hour and a half home. Um, at two in the morning. Um, so you walk into the courtroom and um, there he is. He's sitting there. And you realize at that moment no one wants to be there. His family is very emotional. All of his friends and family are there supporting him. All of our friends and family are there supporting us. And there's a moment uh, it, it happened instantly for me where I came into that space with all of this anxiousness and uneasiness and just all the emotion and I prepared some things to say on the plane going home and I kind of scrapped those like at one in the morning I think if I've learned anything from being an artist and a musician or uh, you know photographer is you'll feel that you need to do something and you should act on that. Don't just let that pass by because some of my most memorable, at least for me, creative experiences or memorable musical experiences have been when I've gone out of my comfort zone 
and and poured out whatever that feeling was within the mediums and um so i rewrote the whole thing um and then our family went up and there his family went up to present uh his case like what he you know how he's valued in community what he had done um in the church and then um and then each of our family members were walking up and you know uh hugely emotional I think I was more emotional at that moment because I had lived through a year of of dealing and thinking about it all to to put into words what that loss was for me I'd had a year to to process that um and the the unbelievable part of all of this is each of us there were six that spoke on on our family's behalf and about six probably for his each of our family members that spoke um, his mother spoke or my sister-in-law spoke first of the loss of her husband and and daughter Uh, my sister spoke and I spoke Uh, we had a family friend speak on the behalf of my father and then uh, my niece who was in the accident spoke and in each iteration of what was being said, it was highly emotional, as you can imagine. But we all forgave him. Um, and at that moment, uh, and like I was saying, as I walked into the courtroom, I could feel that no one wants to be here. And so at that moment, I just had a decision to go, I'm just going to forgive him. I don't know what my other family members are going to do. They might jump off the stand and be crazy. But I just felt so much empathy for him at that very moment that at the end of my talk as I was sobbing I just said you know I realize none of us want to be here and I just forgive you man I forgive you and I I I hope that somehow there's something positive that comes out of this and each person as they ended was a message of forgiveness and then my niece goes up on the stand who was in the accident Josie and she pours out her heart about the loss and how much pain that's caused her and but then she spoke of forgiveness and she said my father and my sister and my grandmother would want me to forgive and in order to show that I truly forgive because I know you've heard that from the stand I'm going to come down and give you a hug. So she gets up and walks directly to him. And you can imagine this 19-year-old kid stands up and just melts into Josie's arms. And just this release of emotion, sobbing, and just... And the judge had to excuse herself, who, who had been on a judge for 30 years. This had never happened. Um, both of the lawyers said, I've never been in a courtroom where there's been this type of loss, not only to your family, but to the community. And the end result is forgiveness. What's happening right now? I think it's impossible for me not to go back to that moment of that that wave of 
loss, but also um, release that. I can't carry all that grief for the rest of my life. And the moment I can forgive a person for making a stupid mistake and, and causing catastrophic damage is the moment that I can breathe again, that I can, um, I can move forward. I felt like that year had been kind of stagnant because I'd been carrying a lot. Um, and also the um, recognition of how much loss had occurred because as I was physically removed from them and only see them at Christmas or during the summer, you have this lifetime, you know, 40, for me it was 43 years with my brother and my mother. And you don't know what you're missing until it's gone. And then it hits you. And things that you do that you never would have recognized as being a part of something you've gained from them now have a light on them. And you can feel like my mom said the exact same thing to me, or my brother would want this and he would, he would tell me this, just like the text about the musician that I heard. Um, so yeah, and also the emotion of seeing my niece, who was only 19 at the time, have the boldness to physically walk over and embrace this kid, you know? Um, and also, strangely enough, it, I'm very empathetic in the fact that he's 19 and he's going away for probably 12 years, six years per count. Um, I think it was 15 years um, for a shitty college mis mistake, basically. Um, so it's weird to have empathy for someone that creates that much chaos. But there's also the human condition that none of us deserve that and none of us want it. And so when I feel that, it's going to come out. And I, you know, um, if, if I had learned anything through this process and through spending time with you, Rick, or Matt Pengra, it's um, there's so much value in those feelings. And, um, and to recognize that, have the awareness um, to understand that you're going through something, and then to have uh, strong people that can walk with you, uh, be friends of yours. Um, this is one of the most um, intense and educational experiences that I can remember having right now. It's, it's an amazing story and the forgiveness piece Empathy to me, the empathy and forgiveness dominate the storyline. They dominate the storyline. Everybody <clears throat> processes grief differently. Few people have encountered 
a tragedy in their lives of that magnitude. It's right below like a Holocaust experience. And I don't mean like it's less than, or, but there's a psychosocial stressor scale that measures psychological stress on a scale of one to 100. And that number one is a Holocaust. Number two is loss of a child. So this is like a 1.5. And yet, when you're sitting here and even observing you, how you carry yourself, how you interact with others, on the times I've seen you, which may be a half dozen times since this, really it's a tragedy. I know there's a lot of ways to look at things, but on one level, we could call this accurately a tragedy. On another level, it's a remarkable story of redemption. And it's a remarkable story of inner strength. And so one of your strengths is work ethic. And you leaned on that strength. Now people might say, oh, you need to give yourself time or you can't fix it or whatever but your drive to just do something was part of what sustained you. And then it's a story of the power of community because you have a family that extends beyond bloodline and you very much leaned into that family and poured yourself into your work and into your extended family, which is full sail. And those were your bridges. Those were your bridges over very troubled waters. And then this unexpected theme that blows away a judge and attorneys and family members and uh, the incredible courage represented by your niece to and you to set the stage for actively forgiving, having some deep insight that forgiveness was necessary for you to be able to function a little more normally. And then the physical expression in a court of law, which is such an intense environment anyway, under any circumstances, it's nobody wants to be in a court of law. It's like on my top last list of where I want to go. To illustrate the best of humanity, the very best. So you had, on one hand, what would be considered the very worst. And that energy is so intense. And then you bring the energy of love and forgiveness, which I like to think is more intense. And I think it wins. I think it wins the day in this case. But how do you go from shell-shocked to actively grieving to a place of forgiveness? I mean, was that like something you felt like I feel like I can forgive this person? Was it a mental decision? Was it 
the grace of God in your mind? What was it? How do you do that? Um, the grace of God would be uh, a, a constant theme. Um, you know, the minister at the service said that, uh, who's amazing pastor, he said, uh, and it worked with my brother and had been the pastor of the church for at least 10 years before he um, had retired. He said, you know, um, your three family members, although we all grieve the loss of them physically in our presence, that once they experienced heaven, they wouldn't come back if they could because of the grace and the holiness and the spirituality of going to that place. And there was a moment, you know, I've heard pastors and, and different people speak on that as a theme at a funeral, right? It's, it's, the, it's the hope. Um, but for me, being a very visual person, I could really picture that. And it really connected with me. And then the grieving process uh, was more of these... Um, There's obviously the grief when you're watching caskets be lowered and three hearse, three white hearses at the church as you show up. And there's the uh, finality of that or the, the overwhelming or seeing. So, so as a photographer, I see pictures constantly. Uh, and luckily I was able to give my camera to a family member and to say, just, just take whatever you want and don't feel shy that you're that you're being intrusive or anything just take pictures and just point the camera and take pictures and he captured a picture of my dad touching the hearse that my mom's casket was in that just wrecks you and as I sat at the graveyard and there's three caskets there that you had to go to the funeral home and pick out, you know? There's this moment where it's like there's financial transactions happening in the middle of all of this, and they're really great about not making it feel that way, right? And you know, the funeral home was so wonderful for us. What a great experience. But they, I'm sitting there, and I look across the caskets, and it's November in Indiana, and it's usually gray and cold and nasty. And there's this sunlight on that day, at that moment, hitting this tree. And the yellow leaves, it was glowing at me. And I just felt, and so I instantly walked over to Brian, a family friend that had the camera, and I grab it and take a picture from my vantage point. Then I come back here, I go through the process of receiving all this love from my extended family, the Full Sail family, which really just I can't put into words how special that was for me because I had been here for uh, 13 years at that point and I would I had always felt like um, I wanted to give to people here there was just something Gary Jones and his nature has just instilled in me and I know you know thousands of others here and forget about the student population how he's affected them but the giving back without asking anything in return. And I just went into that mode. And as I did, I would receive back. And it was this back and forth of just gratitude and love 
And, you know, then you start to experience that and say, man, I, I love you. I so appreciate what you do and how you always encourage me. Thank you for that. And then you go, I went through this process of reaching out because now I had the vision or the awareness to respect what others were, were doing for me. Uh, and I think that's what I missed from my mother, who always, I was always great. And no matter if I was bad, in her eyes, I was always great. She always just bestowed that type of love. And I was receiving that, but I wasn't recognizing it. And so as I started to recognize it, that was healing. It was empowering me to move through the grief. And then that day at the sentencing, um, as I rewrote what I was going to say, I had this whole thing about imagine, you know, these three kids now that don't have their grandmother. It's a very pointed, angry speech. Uh, and then it became these are the these three people brought this to my life. And I know to many other lives, and that will be greatly missed. Um, and you could see him staring down and being super emotional because you're hearing now from family members of the entirety of the loss um, and through a lot of emotion. And um, I just realized at that point that I forgive you, man. That's all I have to say. I didn't even need to say all the other stuff. Just know that I forgive you. And so all that happens. Josie gives him the hug. Uh, the judge excuses herself in recess and comes back and finishes the sentencing. Uh, I see him go off. I see my family members hug his family members. You could imagine the loss of his mother losing a son that's going to be incarcerated for a stupid college mistake. And so I just felt all of their emotion. Um, and so it, it equaled everything out for me. I could, it was now human. It wasn't this evil person that did this evil thing to my family. It was more like, nope, this could have happened to any of us. Um, I don't wish this on anyone. And, and Christ would forgive in the midst of all of this. Um, so I felt called to do that. And then I walk outside, you know, just, I was so emotionally drained that I think it took me three days to feel like I could move. You know, just that kind of raw, intense emotion. Um, but as we all went across the street in this small little town in Indiana, you know, with the courthouse in the square. And the thing about this courthouse that was really interesting as I walked up is Indiana's not scared to put some artillery out in the front yard of the courthouse. They put the big guns on, the, you know. So the big guns are pointing. And I'm like, well, if that's not intimidating enough, I don't know. What, I mean, we could roll the tank up and park it right by the doors. So they have to walk around it. Uh, so that was the first thing I saw as I went in. But as I left, we went across the street on this little square. And we're eating lunch. And Rick, you know, and me, I always have my camera within, you know, a, a distance that I could grab it and take a shot if I was compelled to do it. And I didn't have it because I didn't take it into the courtroom. And so I said, I need my camera, my security blanket, right? So as I walk back across the courthouse yard to the parking area, the sun 
is beaming. And I look up and there's almost an identical tree with the identical yellow bright leaves with the sun behind it just glowing in front of me. So obviously I, at that point I had gone back to my car and I was walking to where I couldn't see it and I had to turn around because I could feel it. And I grabbed my camera and took the picture. And what was so important to me as part of the grieving process and getting through it was as it took me a year, it took me more than a year actually before I even opened those pictures to look at them. Um, there were pictures of them in the caskets. My uncle had said, can you please just take some pictures? Um, you know, the last time we were good to see them, which was a strange request, but I'm a photographer. Yeah, I can do that. So it took after the sentencing, getting ready to tell my story through storytellers with Matt Pangra and you and the rest of the crew, for me to open those pictures and go through that process of seeing that and reliving that experience. Because as you're there, you're experiencing it, but you're so far removed from the reality of it because it's just too much. Like your brain and your heart can't process it. It's just too overwhelming and so to have it a different set of eyes and a different you know temperament and body language and mental state and then see that again um, was really powerful but then I saw the trees I saw the tree at the graveyard I saw the tree at the courthouse and I had been studying the teachings of John Milton and read the book presence by that point and had really started to grasp the connection that we have to the earth, to each other. Uh, it was very evident that I, there had been a disconnect, a shift in my, a fracture basically in my life that wasn't gonna go back into place, you know, that that's a permanent fracture. Um, but I could still feel them, I could, imagine that that tree was there for a purpose and I had the awareness to bring that in and I had the boldness to grab a camera as I sat in front of those caskets and take a freaking picture which I'm sure pissed off some family members or whatever but man how important that was to me as I processed everything um, I'm now we don't have trees that shed their leaves and change color in Florida. But as I see that, it's a constant reminder of my family members, the love that they shared, the, all of the things that they had poured into me over those 43 years, or in my niece's case, the 17. Um, and so I do believe in a complete connection to everything. Uh, it's experiential. You experienced it. You know it to be true. Absolutely. It's interesting because um, here's a leaf in Florida. One of the few. That's changing colors. And it caught my attention today to give to you. Oh as my connection to 
your family and the leaf fell and your family members fell and the leaf fell to the ground and the leaf is earth element and the leaf will become part of the earth again and the earth will change form the leaf will change form and the leaf will emerge from the soil in some unique way I want to share um, a story I'm reminded of I actually have two things I want to share so I was listening to an interviewer I believe she was from the United States and she was interviewing the Dalai Lama and she asked him if there was anything in his life that he deeply regretted and he reflected for a while which he often does before he speaks and he said yes there was an older monk who approached me for counsel and he wanted to join one of the more physical monasteries and probably the most well-known physical monastery is Shaolin the birthplace of Chinese Kung Fu very rigorous physical programs and disciplines these guys do it's like the Cirque de Soleil monastery <laughs> and the Dalai Lama discouraged him from doing this because I believe he was an elderly person or not elderly but maybe my age not the time to join the Cirque du Soleil and he just felt that the physicality of it would just be too much and it would damage him his body and the monk returned to his monastery and killed himself in the hope in the Buddhist faith that he would be reincarnated and he could join the younger monastery and the very intense story and the interviewer asked him well how did you ever get over that legitimate question and in reporting the events she said that he looked confused and he again reflected for a period of time and when he came out he said well I haven't why would I ever want to that moment hearing that story changed my view on grief the grief is living and like all living things it has seasons and just like the wind it can rise up any time and can really wipe you out with hurricane force and at other time there's like you can't even access it it's like not even there and it just cycles through you and I think we can allow it to cycle through us for our lifetime and why wouldn't you why wouldn't you
think we're told to put that away. Don't let anybody see that, you know, uh, growing up. If you weren't around people that really, sh or maybe you were around someone that showed a lot of emotion that intimidated you or scared right. you, and and you you go through your adulthood shielding yourself or hiding or pushing that stuff deeper and deeper. Yeah, uh, it could be catastrophic. Yeah, and then the other story is one of recognizing that it's impossible for our ancestors to die. So if we went to that gravesite in Indiana and we exhumed the bodies of your mother, your brother, and of your niece, their DNA would be alive and it would be traceable. And that DNA is in you. And you can access your brother mm -hmm. through deep listening. You can access your brother. You can access your mother. You can access your niece anytime. Because they're alive in you. And that is reality. We just don't know it because we don't practice it. So my grandmother helps me all the time. And she was a voice of comfort to me in my childhood. And there was one event in which I, I felt terrible that I did to my grandmother when I was a little boy. And she came to me in a dream. And I told her how sorry I was. And she smiled at me. And I asked her to forgive me. And it was clear to me that she had no idea that there was nothing in her world that had suffering. And she always used Jergens lotion, the original scent, <laughs> cherry almond. Mm -hmm. And so I always have cherry almond Jergens by my bed. And then as I put it in my hand, hello, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Is forgiveness critical to recovery? Is forgiveness critical to your recovery, to your ability to move through life more whole? I think so, yeah. I feel like um, I was carrying a lot in the moment that I could voice it. So there's. I feel like in my heart you can forgive people, uh, maybe, but I think the speaking of it and also the opportunity to speak that not only to him but to his family, um, to the judge, uh, who probably never hears that. Not that I was cognizant of that, of that at that point. I don't think I realized that the judge might have not, never heard someone say that um, until she excused herself because she was teared up. Um, but then to hear the attorneys say, no one ever does that. No one ever forgives in our judicial system. So you're talking about probably 50 plus combined years of experience between those three legal counsel members. 
So you provided a profound example of leadership at that moment that stands as tall as any as I've ever heard. And it's inspirational to me to want to cultivate forgiveness in my heart at all times and in all situations to the best of my ability. But even beyond that, the combined abilities of nature, the trees, mm -hmm. our art forms, our work, our extended families, so that we can all be healed. At Behavioral Essentials, we intend to help a lot of people. And today we hope we helped you. So join us for our next session. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And visit our website at behavioralessentials.com. Thanks for listening.